Today's the the penultimate message in our series called Unforgettable, where we've been uh, kind of playing with this idea that that there's these unforgettable truths that have the power to change our lives. That, That what makes something so unforgettable is that it actually changes us. Uh, a new experience, a new revelation, a, a new idea, a new encounter. It, it sort of captivates us in the moment, takes hold of our imaginations and, and our hearts, and it leaves us changed to the point that we could never, ever forget it. And the greatest, the strongest, unforgettable truth that changes all of us, every single one of us, every person of every place, of every generation, of of every time, is grounded in this just one word, love. Love. Love is that unforgettable truth that is just kind of spoken universal. That when we come to know that we are loved, that changes us. And when we extend love to someone else, that changes us. But also likewise, if we fail to ever know that we are loved, that changes us. And if we fail to ever really extend love, that changes us as well. And, and I would argue, I would argue that what makes Christianity so, so compelling, so attractive, so, so, so inviting, so, so powerful is that word, love. That, that if we only had one unforgettable truth to kind of hold on to and, and define and describe what this whole thing is about when we follow Jesus, it's this, love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16, you've heard that somewhere before, right? Or 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And we love because he first loved us. That if there was just one thing that, that I could hang my hat on, on the tenets of Christianity, it would be love. Every time, without fail. But, but, Christianity, as a worldview, as as a theological imagination, has a very unique understanding about this word and what exactly this word love means. Because the word love gets thrown around quite a bit and it's so broadly used that it can almost lose its meaning. I mean, I love my wife. And I love my kids. I also love tacos. And I love coffee. And I love watching the Miami Hurricanes get beat in football, even if it's by the Florida Gators. I know, Gator fans. Wait till November. Okay. But love is, love is this thing that, that has a lot of descriptors and, and has a lot of examples, but it's still, it's still kind of hard to define. It's still kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. But what happened with Christianity? 
What happened with Christianity is that Christianity took this big, huge, ambiguous, amorphous thing called love and put on flesh and blood to it. That in the person of Jesus, we say, not only God, but love. Love came and walked among us. So in the passage that was read earlier, John chapter one, one of the most uh, profound theological statements that, that has ever been written. I mean, it, it just doesn't get any, any better than that. It, it says this, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now that word, word is a weird word to use to describe God. And it may not mean a whole lot to us, but, but for the first century, mostly Greek and some Jewish audiences, that there's something that, that would have clicked for them. That when John uses that word, word, he's, he's talking about that there's, there's this logic. There's this, this kind of grand mind. There's this universal consciousness that has been present since the beginning of it all. And that this word, this logic is God. And it goes on and it says, he, he. And now all of a sudden in it takes on a personal pronoun, he. The word of God came to us, not, not in a book, not in an idea, but in a person. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so upon hearing this, if you're in the first century, kind of hearing this for the first time, you would have just kind of nodded your head in agreement that, yeah, there's, there's something bigger out there, that there's, there's a purpose driving this whole universe. There's some intentionality. We're, we're not just here by happenstance, that, that there is this kind of logic that is ordering the world. But then John goes on and he says something that just totally changes everything. And it flips this whole thing upside down. And he says this, he says, the word, the very mind, the very character, the very essence of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen with our own eyes, we have seen his glory, his unveiled, uncovered truth of who he is, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full, full of grace and full of truth. That when this word, this very essence of God took on flesh and blood, he was given a name, Jesus. And Jesus, he says, is full full of grace and full of truth. And if I had to define love, that's what I would say. In its purest form, love is full grace and full truth. That isn't that what we want in all of our relationships with, with our spouse, with our friends. We want full grace but we also want full honesty and full truth. 
And so Jesus was full grace and full truth, not not the balance of grace and truth, but the fullness of both, all grace, all truth, all the time, always. Isn't that the personification of love? And you see, what we try to do is, is we, try, we try to balance the two. We, we try to give truth, but we pepper it with a little bit of grace. We, we sugarcoat it a little bit. Or, or maybe, maybe you know someone who's just like all truth and no grace, and they might be always right, but they don't have a whole lot of friends, right? We have a hard time balancing grace and truth because that's all that we can do. We can just balance it. But it says Jesus was, was full grace and full truth, God and human. That Jesus called a sin, a sin, sinners, sinners, and then he went and died for all the sin and all the sinners. Full grace, full truth. And so, Let's just begin with that first word, that, that word grace, because I think once that you understand grace and the grace that Jesus came to extend to all of us, then, then you begin to understand and, and maybe even accept the truth that he came to reveal to us, that there's just something that's, that's so amazing, that even the sound of it is sweet and relieves our fears, and we hear that word, grace. Grace. It's free, undeserved favor. It's the fullest expression of love that we could ever experience. And, and we all know what grace is to, to some extent because we all instinctively desire it. And sometimes we even demand it when our guilt is discovered. That grace is that thing that, that we all desire, sometimes even demand when, when our guilt is discovered. And so maybe you remember, or if these memories don't connect with you, I remember certainly, maybe you remember uh, coming home late one night when you were in high school and your parents waiting up for you and saying, where have you been? And in that moment, what do you desire but grace? Or maybe you remember walking through the door and there it is out on the table, what, whatever it is, and they say, we found this in your room. We looked through your phone, or the credit card statement, the bank account statement came in. What do you have to say? Or maybe your boss calls you into the office and just lays it all out there on the table. Boom. And you know that there's, there's no excuse. You know that there's no loophole. There's, there's no blaming anyone else. There's almost no point owning up to it because you've been caught red-handed. Your guilt has been discovered. And in that moment when your guilt is determined, when you've been found out, what we all desire is that one thing that we know that we don't deserve, grace. Please extend to me something that I know that I don't deserve. Give me another chance. You can ground me, 
suspend me, take, take the keys away from me, take the credit card away from me, what, what, whatever it is, just don't let my guilt destroy me. Don't let my guilt destroy this relationship. We're asking for something free, undeserved, unearned, grace. And you know the funny thing, the funny thing about grace is it, it's that thing that, that we, we all really desire in that moment that, that we need it most when our guilt is discovered. But it's also that thing that we're sometimes hesitant to extend to others when their guilt is discovered by us. That, that when someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, what do you do? When the ball of grace is now in your court, you turn a cold shoulder. You don't pick up the phone, respond to the emails or the texts, or you just, you cut your losses and you go. That when we have to be the ones who extend that grace, that kind of freebie mulligan, when we know that they don't deserve it, we know that they can't, earn it. It's in that moment where we realize and recognize just how costly this grace thing is. Because you see, we can only know how amazing and how costly and how, how uncomfortable grace can be only within the context of a relationship that grace, true grace, can only really be experienced in the context of a deep relationship. And only in a relationship where there has now become an imbalance. That, that we do something, we bring something into the relationship that kind of puts us in the negative. It puts us in a debt. And we as Christians, we call that something sin. It throws things off kilter, puts us in an imbalance. And, and this is why this is so important. Because sometimes, sometimes we, we talk about grace in the same way that we talk about forgetting. That we think that those two are on equal levels. Like, ah, it's, it's just in the past. I'll let bygones be bygones. Don't, don't worry about it anymore. It's in the past. But come on, you've been there you know that what's in the past sometimes doesn't stay in the past. That grace is not about just forgetting. It's better than that. Grace is about forgiving. Grace isn't just forgetting. It, it, it's, it's better than that. It's forgiving it's discovering the truth, uncovering the wound, recognizing the imbalance, and still in light of all of that, forgiving anyways. The grace to be, to be fully understood, it, it needs that relationship. Because without a relationship, person to person, mano e mano, grace, grace is just an idea that gives us some warm fuzzies. But this is why God came to us in Jesus Christ. So that we could come to experience the grace of God through a relationship with God. 
God in a bod, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, looking grace and truth right there before us. And after all, John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist movement where we kind of have our roots as a church, he would often use the words grace and truth interchangeably. That, that to experience grace is to experience love, and to experience love is to experience grace. That, that grace, grace is a type of love that, that cares enough to stoop down to where we are, to our level, and to pick us up with love and care. And it was the grace of Jesus stooping down to where we are in the context of love that made the truth that he came to reveal, his good news, so unforgettable. For example, one day Jesus was passing through a city And here's how the story goes. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, not planning on staying, not going to have a meal, not going to do any teachings or any miracles. He's on his way to Jerusalem when all of a sudden a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew means clean or innocent. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And the reason why he was wealthy was because he was the chief tax collector. And there was nothing clean or innocent about being the chief tax collector. Chief tax collectors, they were known for colluding with the Roman government and kind of raising taxes and uh, and all of these terrible things, taking advantage of people and making themselves rich in the process. So so think of think of corrupt like payday advance companies but just like on steroids. Or, or think of your friends on social media that are trying to get you to buy into their product and their company of whatever it is that they're trying to sell you, and it's just a pyramid scheme, you know it? Think of that just totally more nefarious and awful. And so Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus would steal from the poor and give to the rich, and in the process, he himself would become rich. And so everybody just hated him. I mean, he had zero friends, not a single friend in the world, but Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. And he had heard that Jesus was going to be passing through his city, and there was something inside of him that was just curious. And so here's what Zacchaeus did. It says he wanted to see with his own eye who Jesus was. He had heard about him, but, but he wanted to see him. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. You see, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to 
Yeah, some of y'all went to Sunday school growing up. Okay, so Zacchaeus, he, he runs ahead of the parade that, you know, Jesus is leading just, just to try to catch a glimpse of him. He doesn't really want to meet Jesus, but, but he, just wants, he just wants to see him. And everybody there is kind of lined up on the road. They're excited. Jesus is coming to town. Everybody's heard about him. There's a buzz. There's a rumor. Zacchaeus can't see, so he climbs up into the sycamore tree just to see him. And then something unforgettable happens. And it says this, and it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now what you need to know is that Jesus had a lot of things to say about people like Zacchaeus. And they were not nice things that Jesus had to say. Not because Zacchaeus was small in stature, but because Zacchaeus was small in his character. That all throughout the Gospels, all throughout these stories of Jesus, Jesus would go toe-to-toe with the corrupt. He'd go toe-to-toe with the rich who were just exhorting people. And so when Jesus stops and spots Zacchaeus, a full-grown man up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I bet that there was just a buzz of excitement in the crowd that everybody's just kind of waiting on pins and needles, that Zacchaeus, he's finally going to get what he deserves, that here comes Jesus, the master teacher, and he's coming full of truth, and he's going to chew Zacchaeus out. And then I imagine, I imagine that, that after a long, awkward pause, in a very awkward moment, talking to a grown man in a tree. Jesus says this, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You see, Zacchaeus' own family probably wouldn't have come over for dinner for the holidays. He's a traitor, he's a thief, he's a sinner, he's the chief sinner. But here's Jesus. Jesus, who's supposed to be just passing through, and he decides to stay for lunch at Zacchaeus' house. And now all the people are starting to murmur a little bit. Don't you love that? Murmuring, they're muttering, and they're muttering under their breath, who does this Jesus guy think he is? Trying to become friends with the chief tax collector. What's so great about him? What's so great about Jesus? And here we see, this, this is what is so unsettling and so uncomfortable And also what's so unforgettable about grace. Because Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. Everyone knows who Zacchaeus is. But only Jesus is the one who's able to see him with eyes full of grace and full of truth. That up in a tree is a man who in trying to make something of himself has made a mess of his life a traitor without a friend in the world, but who's curious enough to go out on a limb just to try to see who Jesus is. And now this man has been found out by him. 
And now he's going to become the host of the very essence, the very presence of God. That doesn't seem fair. And it's not. Because it's grace. And grace isn't fair. Undeserved, unearned favor. And so now as the crowds are muttering and they're beginning to disperse and go home and they're throwing their Jesus for president posters in the trash can and all this and they're going home, Zacchaeus surprises everyone and he stands up and he says this. He says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Don't miss this. For the son of man, me, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. And so what, what changed Zacchaeus? Was it some theological doctrine, some, some biblical tract, some, some personal devotion, religious duty, good works? Nah. Now what changed Zacchaeus was just a few moments with God in the flesh. Full grace, full truth seeing him for who he really was, what he had done to make him who he was, and responding with grace anyways. You see, grace is an invitation. Grace is an invitation that says, look, I know all about you. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I love you anyway. Follow me and I will lead you away from your life of sin. And in this moment, Zacchaeus' life was changed. And he responds with changing his own life. If you notice, Zacchaeus doesn't get down on his knees and, and pray and he doesn't ask to be baptized. Those, those would all be great, perfect responses to the invitation that Jesus gives him. But Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' extravagant invitation with extravagant generosity. He vows that he's going to repay anybody that, that he has wronged four times over. And what this means is Zacchaeus is putting himself out of business. That you can't be a chief tax collector and give back to the people that you have been robbing. Grace. Grace is costly that Zacchaeus' change in his life, that's, that's his confession. That's his faith. And it's a moment that Zacchaeus would never forget. A moment when love walked among him. Full grace. Full truth. And Jesus' extension of grace made his good news so unforgettable. Grace is that thing that that we all desire. 
when our guilt is discovered and Jesus extends it generously to each and every one of us. And so if you wanted to know what John meant when he said that this word was God and that this word became flesh and that he was full of grace and full of truth, if you want to know what he meant by that, then you have to look at what Jesus did. Jesus met people right where they are. And he said, the truth is, you're a sinner. That's the truth. And the grace is, I don't condemn you. The truth is, I I know what you have done, and I don't condemn you. I love you anyways. The truth is, I know what you have failed to do, and I love you anyways. The, The truth is, I know where you've been. I know where you've messed up. I know where you have fallen short. And I love you anyways. And the truth is, I know that you've turned your back on me. And I love you anyways. I don't condemn. The truth is that we all come up short in comparison to what God desires for us. But the grace of it is that God doesn't compare us. For God demonstrates, shows, shows us love by this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in truth, Jesus spoke up and he called sin a sin and sinners sinners. And in grace, he laid down his life for all the sin and all the sinners. Love came down, full of grace and truth, and walked among us to lead us into a new way of life. And so, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you have been, whatever you haven't done, whether, whether you're on the side of the road getting ready for the Jesus parade and you got your sign and you're all excited, or you're just out on a limb, just a little curious. I don't want you to forget this, that there's that one thing. It's universal. And that one thing that we all desire, love. But a love that is full of both grace and full of truth. And so maybe you've been in church since you were just a wee little lad, no bigger than Zacchaeus. Or, or maybe you're here just kind of out on a limb, just, just curious. I, 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 think, I think still this message is unforgettable for all of us and something we all need to remember. And so as we close, I, I, I just want to invite you that, that if you would, if you'd pray with me, and as you would, that you would take your hands and, and just lift them palms facing upward and just kind of rest them, rest them on your lap like you're about to receive something or, or you're holding something precious. And so I'd invite you to pray with me. Let these words just kind of echo in your soul. 
Or maybe you just say them softly to yourself. Gracious God, I need what I don't deserve. I need grace. I need to be found out and I need to be forgiven with your love. And just receive that that gift of grace for a moment. And then if you would, as, as an act of faith, I invite you to turn your hands over, turning over everything to God. And receive these words. God, I place my trust in your love. I place my trust in your truth. I place my trust in your grace. And I place my faith in Jesus, full of both. Amen.